I'm Nick Harvey-Doyle, a Ngunnawan man from the northern tablelands of New South Wales. The Yarn podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. Today, we're bringing you the fifth episode of our Newsbite series. It spotlights the journalism of staff and students at the Centre for Advancing Journalism. This week's guest is former student Jenny Sai, who landed a job in the ABC's Asia-Pacific newsroom after an internship. She spoke to Louisa Lim about getting a foot in the door, covering the war in Ukraine, and how to survive and thrive in a fast-paced newsroom. Louisa started off by asking Jenny how her internship went and how she turned it into a job. I started uh, my job with the ABC with the CAUD internship. So uh, it's an internship specifically for culturally and linguistically diverse people. Yeah, I went into the Asia Pacific newsroom, uh, which basically is the department in ABC that covers everything about the Asia Pacific nations. I think the internship was really fun. It was actually pretty self-guided. ABC is a place that really welcomes you to kind of be creative and then you have a lot of freedom to pitch your own stories. But if you have a lot of great ideas for stories that you want to write, uh, it's a kind of a great place to get started. So I think I'm a pretty self-guided person. Like I have a lot of ideas for stories. So I just continue to pitch to them about stories I want to write coming from a Chinese background. So yeah, I started off really quickly to grasp the basic of a newsroom because I haven't been in one before. So you got to kind of learn the basics of how to use the systems and also to just really adapt to the really fast pace of the actual newsroom. Because in unis, you have like a semester to do one or two assignments. But in the newsroom, um, in real life, it's often like a week per article and then you're like super stressed doing everything at once. Naturally, I guess just after the internship, they, they have a place for me to continue doing the work that I did. So yeah, that's how I ended up with a new contract with them. So you said it's quite self-guided. I mean, how much sort of research did you have to do on a story in order to pitch it? Did you already do quite a lot of the setting up and the research before pitching it? Or you could just pitch a very vague idea and then flesh it out as you as you went along? Um, it cannot be a very vague idea. So if you want to pitch a story, you got to do the research yourself. They actually have a template for pitching, how just to make it more structured. So you need to have a pretty comprehensive plan already about the topic that you want to write about. And also, it would be also good to already have some potential talents, like specific persons, the thing that they're likely to say in response to the topic. And then you can have a brief outline of the talents in that pitch document. And I mean, it has to be original. It has to be newsworthy, satisfy all those elements. And then uh, the editors are more likely to give you a green light for those. And I mean, how easy was it to pitch? Did you have to like, how many ideas did you suggest before they picked one? Did they turn down a lot of ideas? I think from my experience, they don't really turn down ideas that much. But 
I don't know. It might depend. Oh, great story ideas. Yeah, but there are a few instances where editors suggested like a different angle or、um, some moderation to the focus. So you said it was a cold fellowship for journalists from diverse backgrounds. Were you writing in English or writing in Chinese or both? Maybe can you talk through those fellowships a bit?、Mm. Personally, I'm assigned to the English team,、um, so I'm writing about Asia Pacific stories in English. But I know, I think there are people who got assigned to, for example, the Chinese team, and there's also a Indonesian team. Yeah, they will be writing in Indonesian or Chinese,、mm. but it's pretty flexible. Like there's not strict boundaries between the teams. Sometimes I can write Chinese stories. I've written one about the new government, the Labour government coming up. So you told me that on the first day of your actual job contract, when your internship turned to a job, was the day that、uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, <laughs>、yeah. and that you were given a very short list of contacts with no actual people on it, and told to cover the war、um, from Australia, like remotely. So talk us through what, what you <laughs> then did. Yeah, it was a pretty. Intimidating. So I was given this Excel sheet、um, with basically no real people's names. It's like mostly blank. There are a list of Ukrainian organizations in Australia, which of course are run by, I guess, the Ukrainian community. So because we wanted to write about the human stories going on in Ukraine, you know, under the you know this pretty terrible war starting. So we need to find ways basically to get connected with people who are still in Ukraine. So yeah, I did start off with those、um, Ukrainian organizations in Australia, basically just giving them calls and emails to see. Whether they have families and friends doing in Ukraine who are in a condition that can talk to us in some way, yeah, it's it's actually not as scary and as difficult as I thought it would be. It's also just not not myself working in the team. We had a, other few journalists who were in this doing the same work as me. So yeah, we made hundreds of calls and emails every day. But you know, we managed to pretty quickly build up this. Excel sheet and gathered a lot of contacts. So your first story was about Australians in Ukraine, right?、Mm. Talk us through what that looked like. How you wrote that story? How you found people in Ukraine? It's actually harder to find Australians in Ukraine than to find Ukrainians in Ukraine, of course, because there aren't that many Australians living in Ukraine. Yeah, the process is not too difficult actually, because I think I was given that initial contact. Some people's numbers that are given to us by other people. So I just gave them a call or send them a message on Facebook. And you know, of course, you you gotta first check whether they're in a safe situation that they can talk to you. And you know, people、um, there's a lot of emotions when you are doing interviews in a in a context of war. So I guess you gotta be careful about what you. Ask and as well as the way that you ask those questions. So you said that the sort of editorial guideline was to tell human stories out of Ukraine. Tell us what kind of other human stories you told. How do you how do you find the, <laughs> or define what is a human story? Our team were really trying to basically write about stories of. Uh, the lived experience of the war on the ground, but the hard thing is that we are so far away, and then we're in different time zones. So I, I was working night shifts all the time. It's hard to 
kind of have a preconceived idea of what you want to write because just because you are not over there, it's hard to imagine what particular story you want to go for. So usually from my experience, I just talk to a lot of Ukrainians on the ground. And then usually when you do have a chat with them, you would see stories emerging from your conversations. So I usually don't go in with a particular like story idea. There are a few stories that I, you know, sort of set an angle first and then I find people. But most situations, I just have chats with them and see what is the most, like the best story to tell from their experiences. So yeah, the, a few examples be I wrote about because, you know, the men, they are not allowed to leave the country in Ukraine under the um, that law. So I want to write about mothers. A lot of mothers, they are taking their children and then they're trying to basically go to the safe cities in the west of Ukraine or they want to travel to another country. So it's just them and their children. So I was really interested in um, how the mothers are telling their children about this war, which is obviously a complex issue for kids to understand. So I wrote a story about that. And then I also got interested in what what is the life for Ukrainians like in the already occupied regions of Ukraine, like the, in southern Ukraine, so like Kherson and like in the Donbass areas. So I also managed to find um, some people who are living under Russian occupation to talk about their experiences. But of course, that story is like, pretty hard to write because, you know, they have to be anonymous. If they engaged in protests against a Russian occupation, you know, your story, exposing them to a lot of readership, I guess, on a national platform like ABC would also potentially bring about risks. So there's a lot of kind of ethical issues in doing that kind of work, and it must be quite traumatic for you as as well. Um, You know, some of the reporting and the stories that you hear. And... I guess also if you're working on China stories, there's, there's that issue of maybe having to report on sensitive political topics as a support uh, for young journalists in the newsroom <laughs> on these kind of issues. I think there are definitely, you know, prices that journalists pay in, in, in order to report some of the sensitive and really politically implicated stories. Like, for example, in the Ukraine's reporting case, I know the Russia government, they, they had a list of basically blacklisted um, journalists. And, you know, some of my colleagues' names are on that list. Luckily, I'm not. I don't know, because I'm low profile or something. But yeah, like, um, and also for China stories, you know, if you report the really sensitive topics, there are also potential backlash that you need to expect. In terms of support, I think the ABC, they, they're they really warm, kind of really supportive team. So basically, if you have concern or confusions about any of these kind of things, you can talk to your editor, your manager, or the more experienced journalists in the field. So, you know, as a really young journalist, I do talk to them about these issues and my concerns, they would usually give pretty good advice. But I don't think there's any structural support in terms of, you know, identifying this issue and have structural trainings about, you know, what you should do in this particular situation, etc. I remember you told me that your your favorite story that you reported on, which was not for the ABC, (laughs) but was actually for this amazing Chinese podcast if you speak Chinese, you should listen to it, Gusha FM, Story FM, which you also interned for. And it's a narrative podcast where they 
people tell their stories one person per episode in Chinese. And you did a story for them about was it that music museum mm. curators in, in yeah. Ukraine? I mean, tell us a bit about why that story was the one that you really liked. Yeah,、um, I think that's gonna be one of my favorite stories that I did for Ukraine, just because、um, it's depth and that that level of depth in the conversation and interviews that I had with these three museum workers that I interviewed in Ukraine. Yeah, it's just because when you're writing news, sometimes you can't go into that level of depth because you only have like I don't know, like maximum fifteen hundred words for your story, and then you're interviewing multiple people.、Um, but for this podcast thing, you know, you can really go into those long interviews, more like stories that you would see on New Yorker, like those kind of creative nonfiction writing. Yeah, so I did. I think I found three museum workers in Ukraine. One of them is in a relatively safe city. Two of them actually they chose to stay in their cities, who are under the active shelling of Ukraine, and they decided to stay with their museum and just to guard all the artifacts in the museum because sometimes it's hard to, it's impossible to transfer those big artifacts, so they can only hide it usually in their basement as a sort of like. Quasi bomb shelter, and then they need to stay with the objects. So I think one of them is in Chernihiv, one of them is in Kharkiv, which are the two really heavily attacked cities. So yeah, I'm so surprised that I can actually find people who are still on the ground who can talk to me about their experiences. So the way I went about finding them is I talked to a museum crisis center in I think they're based in Kiev. So I talked to one of the founder of that organization, and she managed to link me up. With these three people, and it's a hard process of trying to actually schedule an interview with them because they are still in war. So usually, I think in three or four times they have to reschedule because in the time that we schedule, there's a air raid alarm. <laughs> they have to go into the shelters and everything. And there's also the language barrier because two of them don't really speak English. So I found one of my、uh, Ukrainian friends to help me do the translation. So we, it's, it's it's so difficult to process. It's like the internet connection is super bad, but we managed to do it. You know, there are the, the interviews are like three hours each, roughly. So it's a pretty long and in-depth interview as well. I got a lot of、um, amazing lived experience. I mean, so you had nine hours worth of interview, and each episode of Gusha FM is、yeah. pretty short, like around thirty thirty minutes. I mean, maybe you could talk us through the editorial processes for that podcast and for the ABC, and what you've learned from each of those.、Mm-hmm. It's a bit hard to compare them actually, just because they are totally different mediums. One is news, and the other one is narrative podcasting. So naturally. The second one, the podcast, you would have more room for in-depth storytelling, and you you have the room to get them to share the really intimate, subjective experiences that they have. Yeah, the editorial process. I would have to say that the ABC's editorial process is probably. I wouldn't say more relaxing, but it's like <laughs> they.、Um, it's just、um, the focus is different. Like they would focus on. You know what would make a good news? The structure of a good news, the essential point that you need to convey in that story. So probably they might cut out some of the parts that are not crucial to the story because you know news you gotta be succinct, you gotta get to the point really quickly. Whereas for story FM, I always consider it as a documentary. 
in the audio form. So you you know, in terms of their editorial process, it's much more. The editors would be more detailed in their feedback. They would、um, try to figure out, you know, what's the best way to tell this story and reorganizing the structure. Knowing what you know now about working in the ABC, what kind of advice would you give for people who want to find work there, who want to get one foot in the door? Yeah, I think I would say、um, first of all, you gotta be. The reality is, is you should be able to adapt to the really fast-paced nature of the newsroom. You gotta be really confident about about your English if you want to work in the English team, because the expectation usually would be to. Because、um, it's news, it's gonna be quick. While it is a fast process, you still gotta be in depth and really accurate. And you need to write fast. You you need to be able to find talents in short time. And I guess once you're in there, the advice would be to just pitch stories. Like you know, we love good ideas, good news stories, especially for people with diverse cultural backgrounds. I think they can usually offer insights and angles that. You know, probably people who don't have that cultural background can offer take advantage of that and just try to pitch. That was Jenny Sai talking to the Yarn's executive producer Louisa Lim. The Yarn is from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. It's produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. A massive thank you to Jenny and Louisa. See you next week.